Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. Well, open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Mark as we uh, will be in chapter 2. Let me get there. And the title of this morning's message is Faith Works. Faith Works. It may sound like an oxymoron, but hopefully uh, through the message this morning you will see that it's not, you know. Um, as I was thinking of this message this morning, I was thinking of really just trust. That's really what we're talking about, trusting the Lord, you know, that faith goes beyond just saying something, but we actually put feet to our words, and, um, and, it, and it culminates in action, in works. And as I was thinking of that, I was thinking of the times when, like many of you would teach your children how to swim, you may think of swimming, or jumping into the pool, Right? Where you're asking them to trust you, to either swim to you, you know, take a step off of the, of the little shallow end, you know, where there's steps, and swim out to you, you know, and they usually, they're like on the edge, and they, say, they act like they're going to go, and then they don't, because they're worried that they're going to, to drown, or that you're not going to catch them, or, or whatever's going through their minds. And I always think of when they, especially on the side of the pool, like when they're about to jump in. You know, they're like, they're standing on the corner, and they get a little closer, and they keep moving closer, and you're like, jump, I'm going to catch you, I promise, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not that bad dad that would let you fall into the pool, or maybe I would, I don't know, that's why they don't trust me, but, you know, for the most part, all the good parents out there, all of you guys, would catch your children, right, uh, and eventually they, the child, they get to the edge, and then they sit down, and then they fall into the pool, and eventually as their, gets their bravery it becomes stronger, they begin to trust you when you actually catch them, that they're jumping in the pool with no problem. I think so many times like that, we as believers are that way with the Lord. You know, the Lord is telling us to move, go forward, trust me, and we're on the edge, and we're holding on to the edge, and we're not ready. We do that fake, oh, I almost did it, thinking, uh, you know, that we're going to walk in faith. And so this morning, as we look at the text, we're going to see a few responses to the Lord's power of people trusting the Lord or believing Him, saying one thing, and then actually doing what they say they believe. Oh, then there will be those that maybe don't really believe what the Lord is saying about Himself, and so they don't trust them or trust Him with their lives. We're going to look at that this morning in Mark chapter 2. And Mark is going to use this narrative of Jesus healing a paralytic to demonstrate two things that we'll point out. He's going to demonstrate the power and the authority of Jesus. And also, to continue to show the readers in this gospel and demonstrate that Jesus is God. And again, just for those of you that are taking notes, he's going to demonstrate the power and authority of Jesus and also, as he's going to develop throughout the gospel, show that Jesus is God. And in this short narrative that we'll look at, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13, it will focus on, we're going to focus on two separate responses, as I mentioned, 
of the people that are there. We're going to look at those who truly believe in the power and authority of Jesus and demonstrate their belief with actions, thus the title Faith Works, and those who who see Jesus' power and authority but don't believe it. Instead, they question the Lord's ability and claims. But not with their words. They actually reveal that they don't believe him and that they don't trust him by their thoughts. And as you'll, you'll see that, it, it's very interesting to notice that those who deny the Lord don't do it with their words, but Jesus exposes them. And so that, that will demonstrate the power and authority of Jesus. But let's read the, let's read the story now. Uh, Mark 2, let's read verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> and Mark writes, When he had come to Capernaum, Several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And when he got up, immediately picked up the pallet and went out In the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. So, again, here we see Mark demonstrating Jesus' power and authority in this short narrative. Jesus' power and authority is on full display for everyone in the home and those outside the home. And so let's look at this now. Uh, Let's first look at the power of Jesus that Mark demonstrates for us. Um, And the power that I want to point out is, is almost a scary one, if you think about it, because Jesus can see what is going on in the hearts and minds of people. I don't know if you caught that in the story. He can see what's going on in the hearts and minds of people. It reminds me, I always think of this uh, Twilight. Does anybody remember the Twilight Zone? Like old school, black and white Twilight Zone. I know they have a new series, but in an old one, I always remember there was this one episode that was kind of freaky with this guy. I think he like threw a coin and it landed on its side and stood up on its side. He threw a coin in a box. And as long as it stood up on that side, he can hear what everybody was thinking. Could you imagine that? If you could just hear what everybody is thinking, like in this room, 
That might be kind of scary, right? People could hear what you're thinking. That's what I think about when I saw that movie. I was like, well, that would be... At first, the guy thought it was cool, and then he was, like, mad because it was just... People were... His coworkers were saying mean things about him, if I remember correctly. But that's a power that Jesus has, that God has, and he doesn't need a coin to stand up on its end to do that. That's just the power that he has. If you look at the story again, in verses 3 and 5, he's... There's these four men that bring this paralytic. And in verse 5, it says that Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, although it says he saw their faith, their faith right, because of their actions, which we'll talk about in a little bit more, if you notice the result of their faith, he doesn't heal the man right away, right? He doesn't say, oh, you know, he, he doesn't heal him. Instead, he says, your sins are forgiven. Yes, he saw the literal actions of these men and their faith, but he saw deeper than that, and he went to the heart of what they needed, the heart of the issue. So they must have truly believed in the Lord in order for him to forgive them, right? Just because they demonstrated this doesn't mean they automatically get forgiven. No, it's something inside of them, something that, they didn't verbalize. Something that Jesus saw in them resulted in him saying, Son, your sins are forgiven. Right? Jesus sees, again, what's going on behind our actions. Actions, if you think about it, are the result of what's going on inside. What comes out of us is what's really what's going on. But Jesus can see also those who are hypocritical about it who are fake. Jesus is not fooled by the actions of men either. These men obviously were not faking it because if they were faking it, then Jesus wouldn't have forgiven this man of his sins. It reminds me of the story in John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, when Jesus is speaking to a multitude of people. It says this, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. And look at what it says in verse 24. It says, But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. So even though these people on the outside look like they're believing in the Lord, Jesus doesn't entrust himself to them. They're coming to him, but he doesn't give himself to them because he knows what is really going on on the inside of people. And this is the power of Jesus, that he knows what is going on inside of everybody. And that can be scary and it can be comforting, depending on where you are in your relationship with the Lord. Just like today, you can be here this morning displaying an action of faith, so to speak, action of works, but you're just playing a game. And the Lord sees that this morning. And I hope you take that this morning as a warning, as we will see as we move forward. So this is the power demonstrated in this story, that he can see what's going on in the hearts and minds of the people. And this is a positive one with the four men and the paralytic. Now there's also a negative one, and that is found in verses 6 through 8. Let me read that again, and you'll see. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. So what are they reasoning in their hearts? They're not verbalizing anything. 
Mark writes it down, but they didn't say it. It says, this is what they were reasoning. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And look at what it says in verse 8. Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves. So again, they didn't verbalize anything. This is just what was going through their heads and their minds and their hearts as Jesus was telling somebody, your sins are forgiven. Again, this demonstrates the power of Jesus. He knew what they were thinking within themselves. He knows what is going inside of their hearts. This is a power only that God has in that man on the twilight zone, if he was there. But in reality, that's a movie. But in reality, only God has that power, right? We don't know what each other are thinking, the person next to us, right? They could be fooling us. We don't really know what's going on inside. Only the Lord does. And again, this is a power that only God has. And this is one of the subtle ways in Mark's gospel where he is demonstrating that Jesus is God. I had mentioned a few weeks ago that I listened to a, a lot of debates on YouTube and a lot of non-believers when they're debating that Jesus never said he was God, right? That was, and the earliest gospel, which many believe is the gospel of Mark, they'll say that in the gospel of Mark, Jesus never says he is God. As a matter of fact, he only says it in the gospel of John. But here, quite clearly, this is one of the rebuttals, is that Mark is demonstrating that he is God. He's doing things that only God can do, and by the reactions of the scribes, they're admitting that. They're saying, he's committing blasphemy. Mark doesn't need to come out and say that Jesus said he was God. That's not his purpose. He's demonstrating to his readers that Jesus is God by his actions. And so Jesus here, again, is displaying that. Right? That's why they said he's committing blasphemy. They said it within themselves. Again, they never verbalized it. And they said this because Jesus said he can forgive sin. Right, And only God can forgive sin. Who's this man to say that he can forgive sins of people? And so this is one of the ways that Mark demonstrates the power of Jesus, that he can see what is going on in the inside of men's hearts, men's minds. Another way that he shows the power of Jesus in this narrative is in verse 11, right? Jesus here shows that he has the power to heal. Again, in verse 11, he says, So to, I say to you, this is what he was saying to the paralytic, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. We have seen already in the Gospel of Mark, especially in chapter 1, Right, that Jesus heals a demon-possessed person. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law who has a fever. Jesus heals various illnesses and diseases and even a leper. And here now we're shown that he heals a paralyzed man. Mark is demonstrating early on in the gospel the power of Jesus in his healing power. What's interesting to note is that Jesus, in healing this man, he's demonstrating to us not only the power that he has, right, but he's also using that power to demonstrate that he is fully God. 
Right? That's why he says later on, in order so that you may know I have the power to forgive sins, I tell this man to get up. Right? He commands him to get up, carry his mat, or you know, it says pallet, so you might be thinking of a four by four regular pallet. No, it's more like just at one person, maybe a mat or a stretcher of some sort. He tells this man to get up and carry his mat home. Right? He heals this paralyzed man, and he wants to demonstrate this not only to those people that see it, but he wants them to go home, show everybody back at your house that you're healed, show them my power. Right? And the result of this is found in verses 12 through 13 at the end of this narrative. It says, he gets up immediately and picks up the pallet and goes out of the sight of everyone And so they were all amazed. So everybody that saw this in the home, they were amazed and they were glorifying God. And they said, we have never seen anything like this. This wasn't a common occurrence, right? No, this is something out of the ordinary, something extraordinary. And they were amazed and they're glorifying God. And as a result, verse 13 says that Jesus went out again by the seashore And all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. Multitudes of people now are coming out to him once he leaves Capernaum. And it results in that now the Lord is able to teach them again about the gospel of God. So again, this is just one example that Mark is demonstrating to us, the power of Jesus. And as I mentioned at the start, he also uses this story to demonstrate Jesus' authority, which we've been alluding to. Back in verses 5 through 10 again, he uses this story to illustrate the authority that Jesus has to forgive sins, right? This, um, in this presentation, as we know, Jesus said, this is why he came, right? He wanted to teach people the gospel of God, which is about salvation, about forgiveness of sins. Your sins need to be forgiven in order to you to be right with the Lord, in order to be reconciled. And only Jesus has this authority to forgive sins. That's what Mark is demonstrating. This is a power that is like no other. Again, this is why the scribes were accusing Jesus of blasphemy. And so this healing that we mentioned, as I mentioned, demonstrate that Jesus has this authority. This is a power attributed only to God, like I mentioned earlier. And let me show you a few references in Scripture where that's mentioned. Uh, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter, uh, chapter 16, verse 7, because both of these, uh, the power and authority, are demonstrated by Jesus here. And again, as I mentioned, they demonstrate that He was God. As a matter of fact, before I go there, in John chapter 10, verses 36 through 39, Jesus, in uh, talking to the religious leaders, was saying, even though you don't believe what I say, believe what I do. Let that demonstrate to you that I am who I say I am. He says this in John 10, 36. He says, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? So it's a similar episode, right? They're, blast, they're saying that Jesus is blaspheming the Lord because he's comparing or he's making himself equal to God. And he says, you, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. And look at what he says in verse 37 of John 10. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works 
so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Therefore, they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. I read that verse again to show you that Jesus' works demonstrates that he is divine. So even though the people don't believe what he says, he's like, look at what I'm doing. This is, these are things that only God can do. Therefore, that must demonstrate to you that I am just not an ordinary man. I am divine. And as I mentioned before I went to that verse, that both the power and the authority demonstrate Jesus is God. So in 1 Samuel chapter 16, such knowledge of knowing what men think in their hearts is attributed to God throughout Scripture. And here's one example of that in 1 Samuel 16, 7, a very famous verse that many of you may be familiar with. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance, speaking about King David, or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Again, this is a verse demonstrating that God sees beyond the exterior. He sees what's going on in our hearts and our minds. And again, in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9, God says this, as for you, my son, excuse me, David is saying this about God. He says, as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. Look at what it says here. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Again, two Old Testament scriptures informing the readers that it is only God who searches the hearts and minds. And not only that, you see that he understands the every intent of our thoughts. This is what Jesus is doing here in Mark chapter 2. Old Testament attributing these to God. One last verse in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 23 and there's, this verse is, is specifically speaking of Jesus. Jesus speaking to the churches, he says this, And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know, and this is the point I want to stand out. He says, All the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Again, the power and the authority that Mark is showing us in this narrative demonstrate that Jesus is God. Again, these verses throughout the scripture show us that it is only God who has this power. And here in Revelation, Jesus is saying, I am he who searches the minds and hearts. I think it is is a great evidence that Jesus is claiming his divinity. So, with the power and the authority that is on full display, what are the responses to the authority and the power of Jesus in our text this morning? We've alluded to them, but I want to highlight them now. Well, we have two different responses that I want to point out this morning. First, you have the four men that believed in the power and the authority of Jesus. How do we know that? 
Well, they brought their friend to the Lord. They brought a paralyzed person to Jesus. They must have heard about Jesus in the past, right? They heard of this, this man who was healing, and they went to him. They brought their friend. They carried this man, fought the crowds, carried him up to the top of the roof of the house, right? And in, in, in that time, there was probably a, a stairs on the side of the house that they had to walk up and carry their friend up, and they were in the top of the roof. And then it says they, they tore apart the roof. They probably ripped a hole in the roof and lowered their friend down. Now, if you don't believe that Jesus can heal him, you're probably not going to do this, right? You're not going to carry somebody up a flight of stairs, then rip open the roof and lower him down. You, you, you're probably going to really believe that Jesus can heal somebody if you're going to do that. And so these men show by their actions that they truly believe that Jesus could heal him. The paralyzed man also believed in the power and the authority of Jesus. We know this because Jesus healed him, but better yet, Jesus forgave him of his sins. Jesus doesn't forgive those who don't believe in him, right? Again, we're not told this, but Jesus saw inside of this man what was going on, and Jesus forgave him. And this man believed him. Not only that, we're told in this story that Jesus told this man to get up and walk. When, if, you, if you remember a few weeks ago when we talked about Peter's mother-in-law, when Jesus healed her, Jesus lifted her up and healed her. This man, he didn't do that. He told this man who's paralyzed, get up and walk. Now, you're not going to do that if you don't really believe that Jesus could do that. Right? Again, going back to my uh, illustration in the, in the beginning, when you would tell your children to jump off the side of the... Of the uh, the pool, right, the, the edge of the pool, and I'll catch you, they're a little hesitant because they don't know if you're going to catch them. They're scared. They see the water. They see all the things that can happen around them, and they're a little hesitant. It takes a while. But this man, we're told, he just gets up. He truly believes what Jesus has says, said, and he demonstrates his faith by putting it into action, by getting up, walking. He picks up his mat. He walks out of the building, of the home, and walks back to his own home. I thought that was interesting, that Jesus didn't grab his hand. He believed him. Jesus said, and he said, I believe you. And he gets up and he walks. All these men, the four men and the paralytic, demonstrate their belief with their action. Again, Mark tells us in verse 5 that Jesus saw their faith. This time he sees it by actions, by what they're doing. They're coming to this house, they're lowering their friend in, and they believe what Jesus says, and he acknowledges their faith, again, by publicly approving of their actions, healing their friend, and forgiving his sin. Let me say this, actions, again, as I mentioned in the beginning, actions don't always demonstrate someone has faith, do they? Because we can go through the motions, we can fake it. We can live hypocritical lives. And again, Jesus sees through that. We're only fooling ourselves and those around us when we live that way. Again, actions don't always demonstrate someone has faith, but someone's faith will always demonstrate itself with actions. Right? If you have faith, you're going to demonstrate that with the way that you live. That is almost the only way to demonstrate that you have faith. Turn with me to James chapter 2. 
James elaborates on this and explains it really well. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 20. James says this in explaining faith works. He says this, start in verse 14. He says, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? So here's the question. What good is it if you say you have faith, but there is no demonstration of that faith? There's no action. Can that truly save him? Right? None of us know that. I mean, only, again, only the Lord can see our hearts and read our minds. But if there is no evidence, there's no feet to your faith, can that faith truly save you? That's his question. He's going to elaborate on that. He gives an example. He says, if a brother or sister, in verse 14, is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, he says, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. He gives that example. If somebody says they're hungry and you say, go in peace and be filled, but you don't do anything about it, that doesn't help them. Just like saying you have faith, but there is no works involved, that's useless too. This is the example James is giving. And then he concludes, look at verse 18 through 20. He goes, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works, Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Think of that for a second. How do we demonstrate that we have faith in God if we have no works or no actions? That's kind of hard, right? There's, there's no evidence. There's no proof that we have faith. That's what he's saying. The other person says, I will show you my faith by my actions. My actions, the way that I live, the things that I do, demonstrate that I have faith in God. Just saying you believe it isn't good enough because look at what verse 19 says. He says, you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. And we've seen that, right, in the early chapter of Mark, chapter 1, the demons say, they admit that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's come to destroy them, but they're not believers. They're not believers, and that's a comparison uh, because they don't act on that belief. They don't give the, their life to the Lord. They acknowledge what he can do, but they don't give him and entrust him with their lives like people of faith do. And he concludes in verse 20, he says, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Faith without works is useless. Now, it's not saying that you have to work for your salvation. No, your works are an outgrowth of your faith. You work because you're saved. It's, if you just talk about your salvation but there's no evidence of it. He's saying, are you really saved? 
Again, you can fool everybody in this room. You can fool your own family. But God knows your heart. God sees every intent of your thought. Again, actions don't always demonstrate someone has faith, but someone's faith will always demonstrate itself with actions. And so we see the response of these four men and the paralyzed man. Then you also see the response of the scribes. They don't believe in the authority of Jesus, do they? No, they question his authority. They're like, why does he speak like this? They accuse him of blasphemy. People today express the same sentiment about Jesus. Right? When Jesus is said by believers to be God, think of this, when you tell somebody that Jesus is God, they, they, they get offended. They question that, right? They accuse us of blasphemy in some sense of like societal blasphemy because you're making an exclusive claim. We live in a society that wants to be very inclusive. The message of Christianity is very exclusive, if you haven't noticed. So when we say stuff like Jesus is God, that Jesus is the only way, our society, like the scribes, will say, how can you say such a thing? Right? In our society today, the belief is that there are many gods, there's many religions, and everybody can follow their own God their way. They can even make up their own God if they like to. It doesn't matter who are you to judge and who are you to say that somebody can't worship God the way that they want to worship God. That is the society we live in today. So if we were to make some exclusive claims, which Scripture does, we would be looked at, how can you say such a thing? We can be excluded from our society. Who do we think we are? All right, this is the height of societal blasphemy. But if you think about it, can all religions be true? Don't they all contradict each other? I've heard it said that there only one religion can be true and all the rest are false, or every religion is false. Every religion is just made up. And what are we doing believing any of them? Right? Only one can be true. They can't all be true. So it's false to say everybody can worship God the way that they want to. That is, that's just a false statement. So the scribes, again, in response to Jesus' power and authority, they don't, they don't believe it. They question it. They accuse him of blasphemy. And as you know, the, the rest of the story, they will, this will eventually cause them to crucify Jesus. So let's close with this. How do you respond? How do you individually respond to the power and authority of Jesus? When you think that Jesus can see your heart, see, read your mind, know the intent of every thought. When you hear that Jesus forgives and that Jesus can heal people, how do you respond to that? Well, first, I hope you find comfort in them. You find comfort in them. Knowing that, you know what? I find comfort because, you know, even though I mess up every day, Jesus sees my heart. He knows that I really want to follow him. I try to follow him. 
And I hope you see that in your life. Because you might have been like a little worried, like, wow, if God could see everything I'm doing, you know, I do things incorrectly a lot. I think bad things. But he sees your heart. God knows that we, have, we still have, we still deal with fleshly desires and fleshly sins, and he's forgiven us of those things. He sees your heart. He knows that you love him. He knows that you trust him, and I hope you find comfort in that. And that you would continue to come to him for forgiveness and healing. I pray that you find comfort and believe that the Lord desires to forgive you and heal you, even though you're not perfect. God calls us to come to him now, as we are, and then he will transform us. Find comfort in that. And know, again, that you would find comfort that the Lord knows your heart and the Lord knows what you need. The Lord knows everything that's going on in our life. He knows what we need in this life. We just need to come to Him and trust Him, put works to our faith by coming to Him. So that would be the first response I would encourage you this morning, that you would find comfort in the power and the authority of Jesus, that He can forgive us of our sins. Secondly, I pray that you will help others find comfort in them as well. If you believe in the power and the authority of Jesus, I pray that you would help your friends and your family, help anyone you can find forgiveness and healing from the Lord. Again, look at the example of these four men as they brought their friend to Jesus. You know, he could have been kicking and screaming, so to speak, but they just grabbed them and they said, you're going to see, I don't know, if I'm obviously uh, making this part of the story up, I don't know what was said, but there's a, you're coming, we're going to take you to Jesus, he can heal you. At some point though in the story, he began to believe because he was healed and Jesus said, I forgive, you know, your sins are forgiven. But the main point is that he, they, these friends did what they could to bring this man to Jesus. And I would encourage us as believers that we would do all that we can to bring friends and family to the Lord. Whatever that looks like in your life, I pray that you will do that because you truly believe in the power and the authority of the Lord. If you don't believe in it, then you probably won't bring your friends or family. right? If these men didn't believe that Jesus could heal them or heal their friend, they wouldn't have fought through the crowds, they wouldn't have carried this man up a flight of stairs, and they wouldn't have ripped open a roof if they didn't really believe it. They had to really believe it. Think of that hard work it would have been to rip open a roof. It wasn't like a little hut with leaves on top of it. It was an actual roof. Probably not as durable as this, but still not easy. The third and final response on how do you respond to the power and the authority of Jesus is, is the negative response that maybe some of you this morning are feeling. Do you doubt or deny them? like the scribes, right? Do you doubt and deny the power and authority of Jesus, right? Maybe even those of you that are here just because, for whatever reason, you know in your heart you're being hypocritical, and the Lord sees that. I pray that you would be warned this morning that the Lord knows if you truly believe in him. And he can withdraw himself from you or withhold himself from you because you don't truly believe. It is just lip service. It's hypocritical living. I pray you take that as a warning. Maybe you doubt 
or deny Him in the sense that you question Him with unbelief. You don't really believe He is who He says He is. You're like, yeah, I hear it, but I don't really believe that. You don't believe He can do what He says He can do. You don't really believe that Jesus can forgive you of your sins. You don't really believe that He knows what you need in your life. And so you keep yourself from Him. This also, I would warn you, the way Jesus warned the religious leaders in John chapter 8, verse 24. This verse won't come up, so you could write it down, look it up later. But John 8, 24, Jesus said this to those who would not believe in Him. He says, Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. John 8, 24. It's a warning. If you don't believe who I say I am, you're going to die in your sins. I Meaning you're going to pay and suffer the consequences of your sin against God. Remember, Jesus' gospel is that I, He's come to pay for those sins. But if you reject Him, if you doubt Him and don't believe and you die, then you yourself will pay for those sins. The good news this morning is that you don't have to. You don't have to do that. Jesus has come with power and authority to heal you and forgive you of your sins. And I pray this morning, if that is you, that you will come to Jesus this morning, that you will not just say you believe it, but you will put feet to your faith, come to him and allow him to forgive you of your sins, that you will give him your life and let him transform you just like he did this paralyzed man. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your power and your authority that you have. I pray this morning first for those of us who believe in you, who believe in the power of the authority of Jesus, that we will continue to find comfort in that, that we would continue to come to you for forgiveness and healing in our lives, and that we would never stop doing that, Lord. And Lord, you would give us the power to be faithful witnesses to our friends and families and to those that come in our lives that we might be a testimony of your power and authority. That Lord, they might see us and the way that our lives have been transformed like that crowd in the home and they would begin to glorify God and say, man, we have never seen any power like this before. And ultimately, they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. I also pray this morning for those this morning who are still doubting and denying you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would sear their hearts. Lord, that you would speak to their, their hearts. That you would continually speak to their hearts and never let them feel comfortable in their unbelief. That they would always know that there is something missing. Lord, and that they would humble themselves and hear your voice. And even for those in the church, Lord God, or those who are hearing this sermon this morning who say they believe, but yet don't really live like they do. They are being hypocrites. I pray this morning, Lord God, that your words would be a stern warning to them, Lord God, that they need to not just say they believe you, but live like they do and truly give their lives to you, that they would jump off the side of the pool and into your loving arms, 
your merciful and gracious arms. I pray for that this morning, Lord God. And Lord, we thank you that you can do all these things because you truly are God, the only way. We thank you for that, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.